Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together and we discuss it, getting the three different perspectives off of three different people. As always, I have with me Lachlan Miller, our expert. Hello. Morgan Carter, our newbie. Hi. And I'm Joshua Lee, the PK Pastors Kid. How are we all doing today, folks? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's been a back to a busy season uh, we're back into a school term, which means a lot of the normal regular parts of my job are back up and happening. Mm. And there is lots to do this term. It's quite a big one for church work, uh, but otherwise doing all right. How are you, Morgan? I'm good. I started a new job two weeks ago. So just getting into the swing of that and finding my feet. It's been really good. Um, working normal shifts, not shift work anymore, which has been nice. Um, and just been catching up with friends because now I've got my nights free. So yeah, been good. How about you, Josh? Good, doing well, doing well. Also, also busy. I think we're all in the swing of um, work. We've had, uh, I think, for all of us, we've had Anzac Day, so that's been like the one day of like reprieve, reprieve, like where we like we get to reflect over that 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 sort of public holiday, but also we get to breathe a little bit. Now, didn't you get up at three a.m. that day? I did, but it was also. I mean, it was. I I still was, you know, got up and did the dawn service and everything, but it was still the day off. (laughs) So I'll take the day off when I can. But yes, no, I've 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 been busy both with work and with family and friends and uh, then also editing this um, and trying to get that out each week for everybody. So a lot on the plate, but it's all it's all manageable. Just got to keep the plates spinning up. <laughs> I don't know which metaphor I'm going yeah, with. You really combined them. No, I know. <laughs> you can you can tell how my brain's working at the moment <laughs> by we're combining metaphors. But no, to answer the question, I'm doing well. What chapters are we reading today, Morgan? Um, so today we're reading Genesis from 23, 24 and the first half of 25. Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 23, 24 and the first half of chapter 25. Today we read of the death and burial of both the matriarch Sarah and the patriarch Abraham. However, we also see God's promise and blessings continue in the life of their son Isaac as he marries his wife Rebekah. So last episode, we saw the birth of Isaac. The, the, the promise of Abraham was being fulfilled and, and we see the, finally we get to see the birth of Isaac there and different bits and pieces happen along the way and we also see uh, Abraham's faith get tested um, through the sacrifice of Isaac mm-hmm. right after he is born. He's, well, a couple of years later, but he's then, uh, God then goes and says, well, you have to go sacrifice your son. And great faith Abraham does go ahead with it but God intervenes and stops it at the end and we see this uh, this enormous amount of um, sort of faith and a testimony to Abraham just being able to willingly like willingly to, to still follow and go through God even though something like that is huge and I don't know if any of us could also do what Abraham did yeah and I think we're meant to see last episode as the pinnacle of Abraham's faith journey mm. And now we reach sort of the end of his faith journey, not because he loses faith, but it's just Mm. the end of the journey. And so Sarah, at the very beginning of chapter 23, passes away at the age of 127, which means that Isaac is about 37 now. 
Okay, Just yep. to put it in perspective of where we are sitting in terms of a timeline, mm. we are good at least three decades on from where we were last episode. So quite a bit of time has passed here. Yes. Life has sort of happened, but yeah. Mm. And this is sort of, I don't know, it's sort of sad because we've we've sat with these characters for quite a while now and now we're seeing the end of end of their journey mm. here. And But it's as well as one journey is ending as we as get into it, another journey is beginning as yes. well through through Isaac and we get to see those descendants as as they, as we go through Genesis here. Yeah, this episode is really the passing of the torch. Mm. It's the episode where Abraham passes the torch fully onto his son Isaac. And we get to see Abraham mourn and weep for Sarah. We get to see that there's that he did love her and that there's there's such uh, amount of grief there. Um, like, you know, if you lose any loved one, there's a lot of grief, but um, we see here that he is grieving for his wife here. Is there a reason he buys a cave to bury her in, not just like bury her anywhere? Yeah, to ancient people, probably even more so than modern people, where you bury someone has great significance. And so people were normally very proud of their family tombs. Um, another thing you need to know about burial is you would almost always bury someone in their native land. Like the final resting place of someone, you wanted to be in the land that they call their own, which is why it's interesting here that Abraham has clearly shown that his land and Sarah's land is now Canaan. Like he doesn't take her back to where they're from, which is traditionally what you would do in that ancient custom, but instead he negotiates for a tomb of his own in this land that he now clearly accepts as his own. And a cave, I would imagine, is a bit more permanent, a permanent resting spot. Um, I sort of imagine our modern day like a tombstone, and I'm not sure if that was what they had back then, but thinking about it, sort of our modern day tombstones, Tombstones could be like can be removed. That land can be like changed. A cave is a bit harder to change, if you will. So, mm. I, I don't know if that plays a part in in you know the reasonings, but I I see it as a more of this is now more of a permanent residence rather than maybe a possibly a temporary residence. But I do like this interaction here between Abraham buying this plot of land mm. and it's the first time he's purchasing land too yeah we've we we, we saw um the covenant with uh abimelech abimelech that's the that's the name yep. and him getting that land that well yeah so he negotiated for the the sole ownership rights over a well mm. but now we see him actually pay to own a plot of land mm. like this is the first field and first cave that abraham owns will actually will ever own mm. of the promised land to him which is amazing in itself because what he uh, when we get up to it he he lives for 175 years and it's only up until this point that he ever decides to purchase something yeah <laughs> in our current property market i'll probably be 137 by the times i purchase yeah, it's property it's true i mean I, I feel like we could be, we could live this nomadic life it might be a bit more <laughs> financially beneficial for us <laughs> but i think we need to pay attention to the negotiation that goes on here yes because it sounds very strange to our ears the negotiation because abraham goes hey i want to buy this cave 
the Hittite that he's speaking to goes, oh, but Abraham, I just give it to you. Like, you've lost someone, I just give it to you. But it was never an offer of generosity. This was just the negotiating style. And so you would negotiate back and forward of, oh, no, I insist you have it. And Abraham goes, no, 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 I'll pay for it. He goes, I insist you have it. It's worth 400 shekels of silver, but why would I charge you that? And Abraham goes, okay, now I know what you want to pay for it. Yeah. Like it's just the style of negotiation. So it wasn't a battle of generosity? No, not uh, at all. It was literally a total business transaction the whole time, even though it reads as this Hittite man trying to be generous, but that is just not their custom. And that's sort of lost on us. Yes, because I read that as like, oh, look at them. They're nicely, you know. Arguing about who about generosity is it? No, no. If anything, he gets a very good deal. The Hittite, because Abraham just wants to buy the cave, and he ends up needing to purchase the entire field just to own the cave. So he's really been upsold a fair bit. It's a big, a lot of land. Yeah. To get, and unfortunately, we don't know exactly how much four hundred shekels of silver is. Because unfortunately, the weight of a shekel varies across history. So we don't know whether this was like a particularly high price or a fair price, but that is eventually what Abraham pays for this field in this cave. Did they have like funerals back then? I would expect so. Mm. Like we know in the time of Jesus they did. And I know this is another 2,000 years even further back in time than that, but you'd have to assume there was some type of burial rite or ritual I gotta imagine the entire household would have been in mourning or yeah. something something to that extent. Yeah, absolutely. And this would have been a big like household event sort of thing. Because like, you know, it's here it's just specifying Abraham and the interactions between the Hittites and Abraham and Abraham burying Sarah. But we also gotta like think of like Isaac as well, like losing a mother and then the entire family. Losing the matriarch. Yeah, here as well. So I think, you know, this would have been a big event. And um, yeah, I'm sure there was a, I'm sure there was a funeral. I'd hope so. The only other thing I would want us to note about this particular tomb is that this is the cave that Abraham is then buried in. It's the same cave that Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, are then buried in. It's the same cave that Isaac's son, Jacob, and his wife, Leah, is buried in. So this very much becomes the family tomb mm. and remains in their line, in their family for generations to come. I guess that leads us on to the next section, chapter mm. 24. Where we get to meet Rebecca. And we sort of before got her genealogy. Yeah, we got her family tree last episode, which kind of just seemed to pop into the narrative randomly. Mm. But I think it was just like a little taster of that a new character is about to come. Yeah, and that and that becomes, I think, important as Abraham in, is instructing this servant mm. to be like, I don't want Isaac to marry anyone from this land. Mm. That it it has to come from my homeland. Now it does say to a relative, which you know your alarm bells start to ring at that point. But <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty common thing throughout the Old Testament. Mm. The idea of marrying within God's people, like it's actually a law in Deuteronomy. And it's very much in 1 Kings 11 and Ezra 3, sorry, Ezra 9, it is definitely seen as something God's people are meant to do is always marry within the tribe of Israel. Even if you wanted to jump forward to a New Testament context, Paul reminds us that we are only to marry in the Lord, 
which is another way of saying only to marry other Christians is what Paul is teaching there. So, so no flirting to convert? No. Nah, yeah. Paul, <laughs> I don't think, would be a fan of flirt to convert. Ah. <laughs> but also the whole dating system we have is very different to our Paul's days. So. I, th- I think so. No wonder it never worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> so this senior servant who we see at the beginning in chapter 24, there's probably a pretty good chance that this is Eliezer, who we saw in chapter 15 as the servant who was set to inherit everything that Abraham had, because at that point, Abraham had no children. There's Mm. probably a decent chance that this is the same senior servant who is still serving his master faithfully, even though he's no longer in the line of inheritance in any way, shape or form. And sort of not bitter by the sons coming about and no. now realizing that you know not 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 going to inherit that but i i'm sure like quite a well off servant too so i'm sure it's not like hurting or anything like being in this role i'm sure like a very honorable role to have yep. and he was clearly a very faithful man as we'll see as this story goes on in my study bible version something i wanted to note that i thought was really interesting was how long the journey was that they went on mm. So it says it would have been about 900 Ks and it would have taken them 21 days. There's a long walk. (laughs) Well, it does say that they took camels. Still, that's a long walk on a camel. Your bum would be so sore. (laughs) 21 days, like she must have been special. (laughs) (laughs) And just going back, there was something I forgot to ask. Why put your hand under my thigh that I make you swear by the Lord? Like why... Is there a reason for that motion? Like, why is it not hand on heart or <laughs> hand on a book or I don't know? Why is it under the thigh? It's a great question. Um, I was actually really surprised when you didn't ask that question immediately. <laughs> I know I had it written and I forgot to ask it. So this was a solemn oath of you would put your hand under someone's thigh and make a promise. And if you didn't keep the promise, the idea was that that person's descendants would kill you. Okay. In other words because you're putting your hand awfully close to the reproductive organs. Mm. And so the idea is, well, if you don't complete this oath, then my offspring will make sure that I'm avenged. And so it, that it's... is ridiculous. It, <laughs> it is fairly ridiculous, but I think it's exactly the same as cross my heart and hope to die. Mm. Like it's pretty normal for someone in our culture to utter a phrase exactly like that. It's saying, it's taking an oath and saying, if I don't fulfill it, may I die. Like, I'm committing to doing this. Mm. So I like that you instantly went to, why didn't you just put hand on heart? I think this is the ancient version of <laughs> hand on heart or hope to die. Mm, a cultural a cultural thing of its time. Mm. Yes, no, I agree, Morgan. It was a bit of a weird one when I read it. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> I found myself, like, putting my hand under my thigh to be like, why? Like, is it because it's a hidden, like, promise or, like, why? But makes sense. And it's also, like, it's a, it's a bit of a power dynamic too because if you're sitting for that to happen the person that's making this kneeling has to be kneeling has to be there in front of you like they're in this vulnerable state as well and then sort of sort of moving from that abraham insists and sort of warns the servant to be careful never to take his son to this place Mm. that he's about the servant is about to travel to and i think that's to sort of maybe to have a guess to to not lead isaac astray from God's wishes of remaining in Canaan. Because hmm. uh, I could imagine easily Isaac sort of going, actually, no, I like it here better. And then sort of sh- setting up shop here. But I think the faithful Abraham is, you know, is trying really hard here to, to keep 
God's promise and and also obeying his command of staying within Canaan. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm. Abraham wants to make sure that his descendants actually take this land that God has promised to him. And that means Isaac remaining in the land, mm. if at all possible. Not to be tempted anywhere else. Yeah. And we also know that Abraham's family was a pagan family. So there could also have been a religious element to it as well of True. Yeah. Isaac is to remain in this land worshipping our God rather than going to that land and beginning to worship other gods. Yeah. Like, yeah, even being led astray from just Yahweh himself. Yeah, exactly. Is this a complete surprise to Rebecca that Isaac shows or that the people show up to get her? Is she like, does she know about this? We get the impression that this is a surprise. Like the servant seems to have to explain that Abraham has even had a son, which probably would have surprised Abraham's relatives. And so, yeah, she's totally caught off guard. But at the same time, she displays all of these amazing characteristics from the very beginning. So like she's shown to be energetic. She offers to water 10 camels. Like that is a lot of work. And so that shows generosity and also vigor. Um, She's hospitable. She's eager to welcome this servant into her home. And then at the end of chapter 24, she's prepared to leave immediately to go to Canaan and not delay, which shows that she's responding in faith to the call to leave her land, exactly like Abraham did. And so I think what we find in Rebecca is a truly remarkable woman. And Rebecca comes, you know, into the into the picture even before the servant is done praying. Yeah. Like, you know, immediately this this happens. You know, and good on the servant for like like we're saying about how Abraham had enormous faith. Mm. Servant here is having enormous faith, you know, is immediately in prayer here, praying for this mission that he's on, this task that he has to complete for his master. And I and I I, I love this part where um he's sort of watching Rebecca, mm. it, and it's in like in verse 21 of chapter 24, the servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in the mission. Mm. You know, like, I love that part of like, is this happening too easily, too quickly, Lord? Like, like what's like, you know, he's he's not necessarily doubting the Lord ever, ever here. He's very much like sees the signs here, mm. but, but is allowing... Is sort of the prayer to to fully come into realize like realization to for that to, to to finish and I like the I just like that bit of like like just eagerly waiting to see if this is from God. What I also love, Josh, jumping at the back of your comment is in verse twenty seven. He starts praising the Lord for success, mm. even though he literally hasn't even brought up the idea of marriage yet to Rebecca. He's just found this woman who is willing to put him up for the night. Mm. And he's like, God, you've given me success in my journey. It's all over. It's all decided. And yet he hasn't even asked the question yet. No. <laughs> Where it says whom no man had known, does that mean she's a virgin? Yes, that is exactly what that sentence means. And I have another question, like why this girl? Like why Rebecca? Like was, did she have a high status? Like how did they know to find this girl? Like why her? Part of it is her family line of she is a relative of Abraham's, which is what Abraham wanted. I think the other part of it is what we see through this story is God's provision of, quote, unquote, the perfect wife for Isaac. Like we see Mm. this woman who just so perfectly fits God's plan. She's willing to leave this land that's 900 kilometers away to go meet this guy to become his wife, to live out God's promises that were promised to Abraham and now going to come through Isaac. I think God was just showing his work behind the scenes 
and this was the woman he had in mind and had planned to, and he directed the events of this whole story. I think one of my favorite things about this story is that you don't see God anywhere in this story, and yet it just so happens that the servant rocked up to the right place. It just so happens that Rebecca was the one coming down at that point. It just so happens that Rebecca offered to water the camels. Like, there's so many coincidences within this story, Mm. and I think we're meant to see that God was directing every moment of this story behind the scenes, which I think is the most accurate reflection of how we, in our everyday lives, encounter or see God. Mm. We don't often see the crazy visions or dreams that Abraham had, but we quite often in hindsight can see the moments that God was directing events for us. Mm. We don't see God sort of written here or God's Mm. actions written here, but we can definitely see his work Mm. here. I just can't get my head around like how they communicate. Like, oh, we've got this girl here. Her name's Rebecca. She's really pretty, like perfect for you, like 900Ks. Like if they don't have phones, I just don't understand how they know. Well, Rebecca's still random. Like it's not like the servant knew of Rebecca. Mm-hmm. His his only instructions was to go back to Abraham's homeland and go see the relatives and... Find a wife for Isaac. Yeah, and see who was around. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, the, but he in sort of like these instructions here of like, well, he's praying like if this these things happen, then I found the right person. Um, I thought they were like headhunting her. No, <laughs> no. I think I think where you're getting that from is because we know Rebecca, because we talked about Rebecca previously. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the servant's perspective, he's never met this woman before. He wasn't looking for this woman, but right. she ticked all the boxes that he had requested of God in finding the mm-hmm. right woman for Isaac. That makes sense. Hmm. What we see is that she goes home and we meet her brother Laban for the first time. And he will be a very important character when we come to the story of Jacob. Yes, I remember now. And what we discover in the story of Jacob is Laban is quite a greedy man. Mm. And I think we see the early elements of that in this story is Laban sees all the gifts that Rebecca has come home with and goes, where did you get this from? Bring the man (laughs) that gave you these gifts. And then he starts negotiating the marriage because that was what the brother did, is negotiated the marriage for his sister. And the servant claims that his master Abraham is rich and well off and then proves it by giving all all of them present, which is Rebecca, Laban, and their mother. And then the servant gives them all costly gifts. Costly. Which I thought was an interesting way of phrasing it. Mm, so even more wealth being sort of transferred. Mm, yeah, we could potentially see this as the bride price, which is normal in ancient societies. Mm. If I'm getting it, if I'm remembering it right, Jacob has to deceive Laban in that story to try and get away from Laban. Yes, we'll get to it we'll in get just to a few it. episodes, we'll get, but we'll also Laban deceives Jacob by tricking him into marrying the wrong person. Yeah, so yeah. There's a lot of deception coming. Mm. For now, we just meet him and he seems great and he seems to be like, yes, sister, Rebecca, go marry Isaac. This is a great idea. But we will dislike that character a lot by <laughs> later into Genesis. And I like how like the servant has to explain the events mm. here, like almost like in a way proving himself or like proving how these circumstances have come together because in the end they then say well this must be the work of the lord here like i don't know if he had to prove it or this interaction might have still happened with the same results but 
it's it's just i mean from a from a reading point of view we tend just get the exact same you get the exact same story happen repetition is like a key feature of hebrew storytelling it's such a common feature used throughout the bible is to tell the same story almost exactly word for word twice within a narrative because they just love repetition to really drive the mm. themes and the points home so like reinforces what's yeah. happening here so it's like not only reinforcing it for these characters at the moment, but then us as readers reinforcing, as we said, God's work here. Mm. I mean, again, we see the servant at every interaction, every moment where it sort of goes right for him. Mm. He's he's worshipping the Lord. He's bowing down and onto the ground and worshipping the Lord and thanking him for... Um, the success of his mission, which is great to see. Like, it's not just like at like one moment or at the end. It's like all these interactions. It's like, again, like, yes, thank you, Lord. Where it says um, in 65, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Is that Isaac who's just come behind a bit later? Yes, it is Isaac, but it's more the case of they are walking towards him. And so they've now finished their 900-kilometer journey back to Canaan. And as they approach where Isaac is and where they're going, Rebecca sees Isaac for the first time. Cute. Yeah. And she instantly takes her veil and puts it on, which is a pretty normal thing for people of that time period to do in a period of betrothal, was to wear a veil until they were properly married as a sign that they were betrothed. It's very quick at the end. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah and his mother and took Rebecca and she became his wife. Yeah. And he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Aww. Which is quite Very nice. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you know, you know. I mean, <laughs> ordained by God also helps that decision. Yeah, definitely, actually. The only other thing I wanted to bring up from 24 was that Isaac is hanging out at the same place where Hagar heard from God. And it specifically says that he is meditating there. Now, that word that we're translating as meditate, this is the only place in the entire Hebrew Bible where this word is found. In fact, it's the only place in Hebrew literature where this word is found. But meditating is a pretty solid guess for what it means. And the fact that he's at a place known as a place where God speaks mm. means he's potentially seeking the Lord there. And it's there that he first sees and meets his wife and also all the future that is going to come from that. And and I think as we're sort of wrapping wrapping up 24 as well, the, just that in 60 verse 60, the blessing that gets um, parted on to Rebecca mm. is also a nice one of maybe, again, be a mother of millions. Mm. Further, continuing on that promise God gave to Abraham. Mm. I think it's interesting how the end of it is. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death and then 25 just starts with Abraham took another wife. <laughs> like Abraham was also comforted after the death of Sarah. Oh, no. Oh, no. And also I thought we weren't having any more genealogies for a while and I'm seeing some coming up in this next week. <laughs> yeah, I, Miller. I forgot about Ishmael's genealogy when last episode I told you there wouldn't be one for a while. Mm, interesting. In my mind, I was like, yeah, Esau's genealogy, we'll get there, but that's a while away. No, I forgot about Ishmael's. Well, not even, even before that, we get we just get a brief descendant list of... Um, Abraham's other children. Yes. Yes. So I'm Abraham has more than the two I'm children. 
shocked because isn't he old? And that's quite a lot of kids to have that old. I mean, I'm no biologist, but my understanding is men are capable of having children for quite a long period of time. That's a lot. Yeah, to go from a man who was 100 years old with no children to now being a man of 175 with many children is interesting. Maybe he was just like acting out in his grief. (laughs) (laughs) So we know Abraham was promised that he would be the father of many nations. And I think that is why the beginning of chapter 25 is included here. Now we know that there was already one promised line through Abraham, which was always explicitly through his wife, Sarah, which is what Yahweh told them all the way back in chapter 17. That is, it is only Abraham and Sarah's union that was the promised line. But we do see here that the promise to Abraham of being a father of many nations has come true because out of all of these kids that he has post Sarah's death, they are almost all linked to different tribes that lived around Israel. Probably the most famous is the Midianites, but all of them become nations of their own merit. And he sends them away from Isaac too. Mm, yes, because Abraham wants to ensure that there are no challenges to his one true heir. Like with Ishmael, he also sent Ishmael away. He sends away every other child he has so that it is clear that only Isaac will inherit everything. Which is at that point is like, well, why did you have further kids <laughs> if you knew this would be a threat? But anyway. I think that verse 6 helps shine some light on that because he sends his all his other sons away with gifts. I think what we're meant to see here is that Abraham does love all of these children. We know that he loved Ishmael and he was distraught when Sarah insisted that he be sent away. But I think what we see here is that Abraham loves his kids and so he gives them lavish gifts and then sends them away to protect Isaac. That makes sense. Like, you know, through his faith, he knew who, what are the importance of Isaac. Mm. but loved all his all kids. His children. Yeah. Why did God only bless Isaac in verse 11? I think verse 11 is meant to reveal to us that all of the promises and all of the blessings that was bestowed upon Abraham across his entire life have now all passed to Isaac. And so Isaac is the line that God has set up to fulfill his great salvation plan. Because we know that at the very end of Isaac's line rests a man that we're all quite familiar with by the name (laughs) of Jesus. And so Isaac is that blessed line. And now we're meant to read that everything that we saw that was true of Abraham about God's favor is true of Isaac. Mm. As we said at the start, the handing of the torch. Yes, is very much what is happening there. I was uh, reading an article the other day about Genghis Khan. Uh, I promise that there is a link here to what we're talking (laughs) about. Um, And it was talking about how 16 million people alive today are descendants of Genghis Khan, which is about 10% of the men who reside within the borders of the old Mongol empire. And so I was just thinking about the idea that Genghis Khan is like, was so prolific. He had so many descendants and so many people alive today could trace their, their lineage back to him. Mm. Then I was thinking about Abraham with this list of not only do we have all the Arab nations through Ishmael, all the Jews through Isaac and all of these other desert tribes through all of these other sons we've just read about at the beginning of 25. Like so many people alive today could trace their lineage back to Abraham, Mm. which is crazy. It's probably even more than Genghis Khan, even though that is quite a staggering fact even by itself. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's just fulfilling 
God's promise. I mean, right, right there. And it just, you know, it reminds me of like, look up to the sky, count how many stars. Mm. It's just, it's just happening. And it's like, it, it, and it's that same thing of when God commanded Adam and Eve to go be fruitful and multiply. It's the same things happening here is the family is multiplying. God's family is multiplying. Mm. We've just talked about how Abraham has been multiplied and has many, many descendants. Unfortunately, there is also a subtraction here. And we see the death of this great patriarch at the age of 175. And he's buried in the same tomb along with his wife. Mm, yeah. Original wife. Original wife. With Sarah. I wonder how she feels about that, like when she rolls over and sees him next to him. <laughs> <laughs> what you been doing, Abraham? <laughs> But yes, the family tomb now has both Sarah and Abraham. Yeah, the leaders of that family. Mm. This is the closing, the closing of the chapter of of a great servant. Yes, and that Abraham has gone through many different ups and downs as his journey is a hard journey, and is and he's seen a lot. But he has been a faithful servant through and through here, right up to right up to the end, as we saw through his test. With Isaac, we get to we get to sort of lay rest to a faithful servant. Mm. And it says he was gathered to his people. Now, on one level, that could simply mean that he was buried with his people in the family tomb. But it could also be that this man was gathered to his people, to his family in the afterlife. Mm. And that's where he is to this day. And that's what Jesus will actually talk about later on in the New Testament. He'll talk about how... God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the current living God. Mm. And that means they are still alive. Not on earth, but they are with God. And he's still currently their God. Yeah. So before we finish this episode, I think we need to very quickly also wrap up the story of Ishmael. And it's nice that he's not overlooked. Like we still get his mm. list here. Mm. Like uh, I could imagine that we could easily just not have his descendants here, and and with the death of Abraham, we also sort of close that chapter as as well. And we we know that we're solely now focusing on Isaac here, mm. especially with the blessings being transferred over to him. Something nice about Ishmael, like we just get sort of that little bit of wrapping up here of Ishmael. And it's interesting because the Bible in Genesis does it over and over, which is it always wraps up the unchosen line before it then focuses back onto the chosen line. So, Mm. for instance, we got all of Cain's descendants and kind of a wrap-up to Cain's story before we then went back to Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, which was the chosen line. Mm. Here we get the wrap-up to Ishmael before we will then focus on Isaac and his kids. Later on in Genesis, we'll get a conclusion and a wrap-up and a genealogy of Esau's descendants before we go back to the chosen line through his brother Jacob. And so Genesis does this over and over of ties up some loose ends of the unchosen line before doubling down and focusing again back onto that one family that God is using for his purposes. And this would be so that we don't get confused about which one the chosen line is. Yeah. That's how we say focused on that line. Mm. I think it's interesting, Josh, that you brought up the idea of wrapping up the unchosen line so that we don't get them confused. That's something you just said a moment ago. Yeah. Because... In Islam, Ishmael is regarded as the chosen line. Now, I'm not an expert on Islam. Happily admit that here. But from my understanding, Ishmael is regarded as a prophet. He's regarded as the ancestor of Muhammad. Many Islamic scholars think it was Ishmael who was almost sacrificed instead of Isaac. 
And so they really take mm. Ishmael as the chosen line through whom all the promises of Abraham come true and then come down to those of the Islamic faith. So I, I, I guess sort of knowing that it's important for us as Christians to then know which line's important to us because for us it's through the saving grace of Jesus, not anyone else. Correct. Yep. So we need to we we need to know that line and where where it sort of ends up. Mm, but it's fascin it's fas- it's always fascinated that Islam gets traced back and from the same book as us. Yeah, as in it's called the three great Abrahamic religions, right? Yeah. Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Because mm. we all trace our roots back to Abraham. Yeah. It's just two of the three think that Isaac was the chosen line. Mm. And the other one, Islam, thinks it was Ishmael. Ishmael is also one of the key characters who lives in Mecca for most of his life and begins sort of the sanctification of Mecca as a holy site, which is why Mecca is so important to those of Islamic faith. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's something about that where for me, it like it, it almost like proves like between the three faiths, we're all in sort of the right direction. Now, I, I <laughs> like you know, like you know what I mean. Like I, I like we believe here that we are. Yep. But it's something almost reassuring that it's we're somewhere we've like obviously diverged. Like, like obviously here we've diverged. I don't know. There's something comforting that it's comes all back from Abraham. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I find that comforting in a weird way. I know what you're talking about because I was doing some research the other day about what different religions and groups think about Jesus. And Mm. there's something oddly comforting about the fact that almost every world religion has tried to incorporate Jesus into it somehow. So like Islam sees him as a prophet. Hinduism has recently seen him as an incarnated God. Buddhism sees him as a great teacher who tried to help people along the journey. Yeah. But only Christianity sees Jesus as God. Yeah. So there's something reassuring to me that goes every other group of people has recognized that there is something special about Jesus. Yeah. But only Christianity takes it the full way. Yeah. That's really special, I think. I never knew that other, like apart from the three, uh, how did you put it? Abrahamic. Abrahamic uh, religions. Other religions have started to see how significant he was and started to try and incorporate him. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the power of God. Like, you know, like, you know, I can't, you know, I can't say anything else, but like, if if they're realizing that, like, you know, I think we've got it right, folks. (laughs) (laughs) And on that topic of getting it right, I do want to point out that this document we have in Genesis is the oldest copy of the Abraham story known to exist. Mm. It was also written well, well, well before there was any need to prove that Isaac was the chosen son. Like this document was written so long before people started to claim in Islam that Ishmael was that son. That mm. you can't be like, oh, they they edited this story Genesis to make Islam see, seem silly. No, no, this is the original oldest version of the story. Yeah. So rather, so you're saying it's the... Like it's the OG, it's the mm. original version rather than a copied version and then they've taken the copied version and we have the copied version. We have the OG original or yeah. as close to the original as possible. What I'm saying is that the idea of Ishmael being the one that Abraham almost sacrificed or the chosen line through whom all God's promises were meant to come, that story 
is so much younger than the story of Isaac being the one. Yep. Yep. I yeah. getcha. Like we have the oldest possible version of events, which makes me feel confident that we are reading the true events. Yeah. So Isaac, the story of Isaac predates what people think about Ishmael. Ishmael. Yep. Yes. I got it. I love that. I love those little bits, like those 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 tidbits, those bits of information. It just, I don't know. It's it's exciting. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I, there's no other. There's no other way of like putting it. Like I, I don't know. I just I always like lap up those little bits of information because I don't know. For me, it just it makes it all real. Um, it's not just like sitting in a book here, like just reading the text. It's like I don't know. For something in me, it clicks and goes, "Wow." The only one other thing I want to say about this little Ishmael genealogy is the fact that he had 12 sons, which is what God predicted back in chapter 17. And so if God is faithful in those small promises, like, hey, you'll have 12 sons, or the promise that he will live in hostility to all his brothers, which was promised in chapter 16, if all of those things are true and they're very small promises, how much more is God going to fulfill the great promises made to Isaac? I'm going to kick us off with some final thoughts. Last year at church, we looked through the book of Ruth and something that struck me about the book of Ruth was how there was no direct words from God, no miracles, no prophetic oracles, but you could so clearly see God's hand over every single event that happened. And that's what I see when we come to chapter 24 here. And it just reminds me of that, of God is so clearly at work orchestrating things behind the scenes. And chapter 24 is one of the longest chapters in Genesis. It's one of the the longest, most well-crafted stories in Genesis. And yet, again, it is God behind the scenes doing everything, which just makes it such a relatable story to our experiences. And so I guess my takeaway is that God is in control. My my takeaways and final thoughts are just the faith of the servant, that at every turn he's praising God the Lord, praising God, praising Yahweh here, you know, even though he just sees Rebecca and fulfills that sort of part of that prayer and um, and it might be a bit gung-ho on like, oh, we've, we've completed our mission here, but like he still is like, you know, thanking the, the Lord at every single step here. And I, and I, I love that because like, I, you know, I, I think we should be doing more of that, even in the mundane, like it always doesn't have to be in the miraculous um, in our in our day-to-day lives. Like even in the mundane, we should be praising the Lord because um, as like you said, he's working there behind the scenes. He's, he, his work has always always been there, always will be in the future and we should we should praise that and we should continue to praise that. I think my takeaway, I don't really have a big one this week, but it's just the extremities of things like buying all that land just to have the cave and walking 900 Ks, just like the extremities of how big things were back then, just shocks me every time I learn something like that. And I know that I've already had a final thought, but I also just want to, for one final time, almost say farewell to Abraham. Yeah. Like we've spent many episodes with him. And this is the wrap-up of his and Sarah's story. And so now we get to hang out with Isaac and his kids for the, the rest of Genesis. But goodbye, Abraham.
So as we're sort of saying goodbye to Abraham and Sarah and moving on with uh, the stories of Genesis, we'd love to know your thoughts on Abraham and Sarah and to know what you got out of their life uh, as well as any questions that may be still looming about uh, Abraham and Sarah. We'd love to know any of those thoughts. So send in your, your, your thoughts, your comments, your questions. We'd love to hear them. Uh, send them through social media and keep up to date with our, our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram. We're also on Patreon, so if you want to financially support us there, head over to Patreon. You get some extra content over there as well as early episodes and extra long episodes of the podcast. Uh, And it's also a good way to, to be able to be in communication with us as well. Don't forget to share this around because we'd love uh, not only the Word of God to, to, to be shared, but also this podcast to, to be shared with everyone. So share it with a family member, share it with a friend, a work colleague, someone that is, you know, either a Christian or maybe is on the cusp of Christianity and, and is interested in what we're talking about. It could be used as a great tool to start that conversation if you need a conversation starter. Morgan, can I just get you to end us in prayer? Lord God, thank you for another great time together to look into your word. Thank you for the lessons that we've been taught through the journey of Abraham and Sarah. Thank you for everyone listening. I hope that these words can sit with them and that they can learn something too. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lockie and Morgan, for uh, this time here. And thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And we'll see everyone next week. Bye. 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 A Mustard Seed Creative Production.